Welcome back to the Stock Market Options Trading Podcast. What a great discussion I've got for you today. I had the pleasure of interviewing Fazia Timberlake, which some of you may know her from her appearances on the Tasty Trade Network's Rising Star segments. She's been on there a couple times. She's got a great story. I learned a lot about her and how she uses the Tasty Trade principles to this day. We're going to talk about that. She's going to share that with us. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. I'm going to put all of her information in the podcast show notes if you want to see her previous Rising Star segments. You can find that at stockmarketoptiontrading.com. This is episode 16. I'll also put it in the YouTube description if you're watching this on YouTube. So be sure to check those out if you want to learn more about her. Before we dive into the episode, though, if you could take 37 seconds and leave a review of the show in Apple Podcasts, it would mean the world to me and help trigger the algorithm to spread the word about the show. So enough about the intro. Let's get into the interview. Hi, Fazia. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fine. Hello, Eric. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. So it's very nice to see you and talk to you at the same time. I know we've emailed and talked on the phone um, the past year or so. I'm glad that we finally kind of pulled it together. I know um, I moved and it took longer you know, for me to get settled. And I know you moved too, right? Is that, is that right? You moved recently? Uh, well, it's almost a year now. I moved oh, okay. from California to Nevada. Do you still have boxes in your house? Because I still, <laughs> I still have boxes no. in my house. No, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit ahead of you. You're ahead of me. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm still working on it. I'm still working on it. So, um, I know we're going to talk a little bit about Tasty Trade because that's how you know I, I've come to learn about you. But I want to kind of back up a little bit. I know you did uh, some years in the finance industry. And I'm always kind of fascinated to talk to someone who, who came from that industry because it's so different from the self-directed uh, you know, traders like us. So can you tell me just like a little bit about what you did, how long you did that? And then you know, how did you kind of transition out of that? I'm interested to know. So actually, before financial services, I was actually educated and worked as a software engineer. So if you had to ask me, that's really what I identify with. Okay. Um, But um, I spent some time at home uh, raising my my children. And that's when I started sort of teaching myself about the capital markets and learned how to invest in stocks and ETFs and a little bit of mutual funds. And then I had this brilliant idea that, uh, wow, I could make a career of this. So I switched to financial services. I worked for a large brokerage as a financial advisor, but the area that really interested me was financial planning. All of it interested me, actually, but uh, I felt like as an engineer, I liked that top-down approach. Let's talk about what the person's long-term plan is, and then the investments kind of fall out of that plan. I did not really find trading options. I did that, sorry to back up, I did that for about 12 years, um, but realized very early in the game that as a novice, it's mostly about marketing and very little about building portfolios, and that's really where my interest was. But I enjoyed the relationships. And um, finally, after about 12 years, I did quit the industry um, Mm -hmm. and uh, went back to becoming a financial planner. In that interim, I discovered options just as a way to keep myself occupied while I was going to school full time. 
I knew a little bit about selling puts and selling covered calls, but nothing more than that. I discovered Tasty Trade right about that time, I would say about nine, 10 years ago. Okay. And um, this whole quantitative approach, probability-based approach, just kind of fit right in with, um, with my analytical, quote-unquote, engineering mind. And I liked the fact that I could be a self-directed investor, I, that I could control how much time I spent. Contrary to popular opinion, you don't have to be tied to the computer screen 24-7. You really don't. Right. I yeah. might be because I really just enjoy doing this so much. I'm, to this day, I'm constantly learning. So that's, I find that trading options is sort of one degree removed from normal investing, meaning you have an opinion on an underlying whether you're bullish or bearish. And in the case of options, you have a choice. You can be slightly bullish or slightly bearish or outright bullish or neutral, which you can't really do effectively by just buying stock or selling stock short. Right. And, um, and then you use a strategy that sort of reflects your opinion on that underlying and then go from there. I'm not a day trader. A, a lot of people confuse options traders with day traders. Yeah. I may do a short-term trade every once in a while, but 95% um, of the time my trades are about 45 to 60 days out. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. So that's interesting that you were, you were doing a little bit of trading you were inter inter interested in finance before you got into finance. So it kind of, yeah. I was thinking it was the other way around where you got into finance and you're like, oh, well, maybe I'll go. But you, you kind of started with, with buying and selling stocks, I guess, when you, when you first yes. started. Right. Yes. That's yes. interesting. Very cool. So was, was Tasty Trade kind of your first foray into options? Is that how you kind of came across them or, or, or how, yeah. you know, what kind of got you into options? And yes, I knew about selling covered calls and selling puts, but that's the extent of it. I didn't know anything else. I didn't know anything about volatility, when you buy, when you mm -hmm. sell, under what conditions, and how delta is a reflection of your exposure to the underlying. I didn't know anything about that. I just sort of accidentally was introduced to taste to trade talking to just practically a random stranger in a restaurant. And he said, you ought to, you know, yeah. listen to this. And when I did, I was hooked immediately. immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah, they did a good job. I know um, I started, I was an Investool student, yeah. um, which I think, if, I, if I'm not wrong, I think Sosnoff was still with Thinkorswim at that time. I didn't, you know meet him or you know I didn't get to do what you did but but I kind of started with thinkorswim with invest tools and I think he had a hand in on that program but oh, yes. you know edu the educational side of those these brokerage houses and so when Tacy Trade started to emerge I definitely watched a ton of their videos and Mike and his whiteboard I love all those things and um so it's that's that's really cool so the really cool part was in 2015 
you were a, you you were featured on their network as a rising star. So how did that even come about? Like, how do they even know who you are? Is it just were you just like calling into their shows or like how did that even come to be? That's pretty much it. I was so hooked. I was hooked by the personalities. I felt. And I don't think I'm wrong to this day. I felt that they really had an interest in um, showing the retail self-directed investor how to take charge of their investments and portfolios. And, and then, of course, if you watch them, they're so entertaining. I mean, I would be just cracking up half the time. So, yes, as you said, I started calling in first just to ask questions and then writing to them, and they're so responsive. I mean, Sarsnov, to this day, you would think he's so such a busy man. He runs so many companies, has his hands in so many pies. Yeah, he'll, he's he'll all return, over the place. He'll return your call. He'll return your email. In fact, I've even said to him sometimes, shouldn't you get a little assistant who helps you sort of answer the simple things? And he said, no, I, I love it to this day. He has, um, he has a vested interest in, you know, watching this baby that he's produced grow and grow and grow. Um, so, yes, and then I, uh, the rising star, I can't exactly remember. I think they were talking about advertising it. And I just wrote to Tom and I said, um, do I have a chance at this? Because I've really enjoyed this. I've been, I think at the time I'd been doing it for about four years. And he said, sure. And he put me in con contact with the people, you know, ahead of that programming. Right. And asked me a few questions. And next thing you know, I had an invitation to go to Chicago. And honestly, it was a, it was a huge honor. I don't know what was the bigger honor being given that title or meeting the personalities. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Cause you know, these, you know, these guys are like, you know, famous in a, in a sense, you know, like they're little mini rock stars and, and they're not just, um, the talking head guys like on the CNBC, like you can just tell they're just, you know, like regular kind of people. And they actually kind of thumb their nose up a little bit at the, um, at the regular financial media, which I, you know, which I think is great. So, so, you know, what was that like being in there just talking to them and were you nervous? Like, cause I know I, I, I rewatched the, um, the old one recently because I knew you were coming on. And by the way, just for everyone who's listening, I'm going to put the links to um, all the Rising Star episodes, all her stuff in there. So you guys will find that. You know, when, when they're asked, I don't know, I would just be really nervous. So were you nervous or a little bit? I, I think I was a little nervous about having a camera pointed at me. Right. I wasn't nervous around them. And they, within seconds, you know, when the horsing around starts and Tony and Tom, they're, I cannot tell you what incredibly lovely people they are. You know, their heart's in the right place. And they take, they're not too serious. And yet everything they produce is damn, excuse my French, very serious, right? They produce right. hours and hours of research and content. Um, uh, you, I, in the early years, I would just spend my entire evening just watching. All right. day I would be listening 
all evening I'd be watching it again and again. And I are are you like me? So <laughs> where, and this is how I am with books too. Like I have to watch and read things and it may be because it's technical i think with technical things i might watch the same video like five times over the course of a couple of weeks just to really let that sink in you know where are you like that or maybe i'm just a, like a, a slow learner of, I, I think retainment is I, you know sometimes hard to retain some of this stuff because it's so technical and when you start watching some of these videos when, when when i first watched their videos and you know this was years ago and they they really, and I don't know, I don't want to say the Greeks, but when they really got into the uh, the nuts and bolts of some of these uh, concepts of the time decay and where on the curve the time decay is and, and a lot of the research they were doing and comparing the volatility between different indexes and, and it was just like, it was, you know, I, it was pretty nerdy and I loved it. So it was, it was very, uh, very cool. So were, were you, you know, like that where you just consume 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 and you just reconsume the same content until you get it is i or did you pick it up like super fast no no pretty much what what you're saying it's a huge body of knowledge of lots of little facts and data that all sort of come together but there's no way you can learn it all in one go you know it's an iterative process so Sometimes I, I feel so lucky that I started when I did with them because today I don't know how overwhelmed I feel because they've grown. You know, he's got maybe 20 data scientists working for him, all yeah. PhDs and math or quantitative data analysis or whatever. And mm -hmm. they just turn the stuff out. And, yeah. But yes, no, I would watch it and um, on their you know, on their website, uh, all the programs are archived. And then you can also create playlists. Right. So I would create, I've, I've got maybe 30 playlists every time volatility was mentioned that I didn't know about. I would just stick it in the various playlists and then go back and watch those playlists, everything about volatility. Right. All in one place. Yeah, but to the novice or the new beginner, I don't want to scare them and think that it's so overwhelming that they can't start, not at all. Yeah. Everyone should, you know, you start with some basic knowledge and then you just keep building on it. You right. Know? But yes, the answer to your question is that, uh, no, I would watch things over and over again just to kind of connect all the dots, yeah. you know? Yeah, they did a good, they did, they definitely did a good job. They were definitely, I think, ahead of the time. Um, you know, there's a lot of great videos out there now, but they, they really, um, I, I think when they started bringing in the the data guys, and this is, and this is what I, this is one of the things I liked about them was, you know, they've been doing it forever and they, but they're, there's, uh, what's the word? Um, not self-deprecating, but when there's, they started bringing in these math guys yes. and they started sort of admitting that there were things they didn't know, right? Yes. Or that they were like, oh, we always thought it was that, that you know, what the obvious thing might have been. Um, so the fact that they were still learning and they were bringing in people to basically educate themselves at the same time, I, I thought that was pretty cool because that just sort of shows that, you know, even though these guys have been doing it forever, the, the industry's changing, the, the players, you know, who's in there, the brokerages are changing, the requirements, the fees, and all these, you know, all these things, it's just constantly evolving. But um, so, so let me ask you, 
I, I know, uh, you know, we talk about Tasty Trade. Can you just kind of high level go over some of those Tasty Trade principles or tasty trade methods, just, you know, kind of a higher level, just to give the listeners in case they haven't, you know, followed them at all. Just, just what their kind of thing is like, what, what's, what are they trying to tell you in, in general, you know? Okay. So I would say if I, and I think there was a discussion about it this morning on, on the live program. There are two main things that I didn't know anything about. And that is the driving force behind any position that I would establish that. And I think that they have a head, you know, head and body, uh, uh, they're ahead of everyone else. There's never a discussion about this on any options discussion out there on even the best financial networks is the role of volatility and the role of time decay. You know, where the sweet spot is, when, and also the role of volatility is connected to when should you sell and when should you buy. Regardless of whether you're bullish or bearish, that's not the point. The point is, is this a condition under which I should sell? And an example would be if I'm bullish and the conditions for selling are in place, then I would sell a put or a put spread. And if the conditions for buying are in place and I'm bullish, then I would buy a called spread. So the concept of volatility and what one should do under uh, different volatility conditions and the fact that 45 days is sort of the sweet spot for time decay. So you can sell things out in time, definitely, but around 45 days is when you will see that uh, steep decline where the time is coming out of it, the time decay is coming out of, out of, the out of the money options. The other thing is uh, best practices, meaning when you choose an underlying, you, it might be very trendy. It might be something that you read about all the time and making headlines, but does it, can you wet it using tasty trade principles? And they are um, volata- uh, volume that the underlying must trade around a million shares or more a day. So there's enough volume in it. Um, right. It should be a liquid. So the bid and ask spread should be reasonable. Now, of course, that varies with the size of the underlying. But on the Tastyworks platform, Tastyworks is the brokerage associated with the Tasty Trade Network. Um, they they will grade the liquidity of the underlying, and um, and then you should be out about forty five days. And you should follow principles of selling or buying based on implied volatility. I would say those are like the backbone mm-hmm. of, of trading the tasty trade way. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's what I remember is, is that 45 days, I, I do, a, I'm kind of a vertical spread person. I, I mainly do vertical spreads and I probably should venture out to other types of spreads to give myself some more uh, diversity. But, and, and I, I, so I trade a lot of indexes, and mainly SPY, SPX, those type of things. And, you know, what I've found is that when you look for things like IV being a certain level, it's really hard to meet some of that criteria. So do you find yourself trading more stocks than indexes? You trade more stocks? That's a really good question. So they don't dictate that you should create any sort of a model 
portfolio, but I do use indices for creating what I call a core portfolio. Okay, so that would be our market ETF, whether it's IWM or QQQ, or not really the diamonds, but IWM or QQQ or SBY. And then I always have a position in bonds. um, And I always have a position. TLT. I always have a position in gold. So now for the last two years, I've started trading option uh, futures. So Mm -hmm. I may substitute options on futures or mini futures. And since then, they've started the small exchange. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I've heard I've heard of it. I've heard them mention it. I listened to um, Tom's and Dylan Radigan's podcast. They put on Wednesday. It's one of my favorite podcasts. Um, But he's mentioned that. Um, And I get their magazine too. They have luck. Luckbox, Luckbox magazine. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I, I know they're doing that. I, I've, you know, I'm back and forth. I've been with Thinkorswim so long that um, I was kind of, you know, I just get stuck in my ways, but I might consider switching to Tastyworks just to see oh. some of these other products that they're, you, that they're doing. You will not regret it. Yeah. So I don't need to put Toss down. And I think these guys had a major role in the development of Toss also, right? Um, design and development of Toss. And that's what, 25, 20 years old now. Yeah. And then they designed Doe, mm-hmm. um, which was on uh, the TD Ameritrade platform. And, and then they um, separated from TD Ameritrade and took the innards of Doe, which then became the platform for their new brokerage, Tastyworks. I don't mean to put Toss down, but I've used Toss. I've also mm. used Options Express. I'm dating myself. I've been doing this for a while. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I, I, I couldn't say that there's a better platform out there for trading options than Tastyworks. It's incredible. You know, when we had the March drop in the markets, right? Yeah. Um, I have friends who not only work, but have accounts in uh, various large brokerages. Everyone was hurting. They were, they were shut down, you know, for hours on end sometimes. And Tastyworks did not even have a hiccup. Did not even it's, yeah. it's a phenomenal platform from the point of view of strength, stability, and security. But more than that, as a user, it's, you've got everything at your fingertips, the probability of profit when you set up the position. You don't have right. to move from that page. Right. You know? And... Um, and what yeah all right you got me thinking about it <laughs> you got me really thinking about it i'm, I'm gonna you really should yeah. you really should if nothing you know uh, open a small account there and just try all the functionality out mm-hmm. i promise you i have because i'm a coach now so i have some clients who have accounts at toss and some at um, in actual brokers and honestly Honestly, it's painful <laughs> for me to use those platforms. Yeah. And I go, how do you guys do this? How do you right. do it? <laughs> I'm, you know, I can put on five, six positions um, in under five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's all pulled down, drag here and there. Everything is displayed for you in one line and boom, 
hit send. Right. <laughs> nice. So it's very nice. I All really right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get that going. I'll. I'll open up something here before the end of the yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. Start it's messing well around. You're gonna have to. I might. I might call you though for some. Uh, totally. Totally. Some lessons. Totally. <laughs> the arc, okay. So you yeah. gotta give. If nothing else, you gotta give credit to the fact that it's so brand spanking new. True. I that that's that's true. I know. Um. I, I have a couple buddies who, who who are trading. So I don't know how. I guess people trade both. Like I'm kind of like maybe just one dimensional. Like if I switch, like I feel like I'm gonna. I'll probably just end up switching, you know, just because <laughs> why, why make it more complicated than it is by having to do one, you know, on different platforms. So, but I'm, I'm going to, I'll, I'll look into it. You might, you, you might be the one to push me over the edge. <laughs> to it. Um, so you won't regret it. You won't regret it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's great. So what, and, and just, you know, when we go back to, you kind of getting into tasty trade what were some of the starting strategies that you really started with were you um um selling puts or doing credit spreads or what what how did you start and then what are you trading now i guess how do you expand across more strategies because i know with different volatility levels and and um and whether you said buy or sell like it seems like you're more diverse now but what did you start with so you know there are only four things there are there are puts and calls and you can buy them or sell them. And every strategy is a combination of that, right? So right. Um, I started by um, knowing that I'm selling or I'm buying. And if I was buying, I learned to buy a wrapped around. I learned about break-evens. I learned that um, the probability of an out-of-the-money call spread is so low right? Mm -hmm. Because I notice a lot of people just buy out of money calls and it's kind of like a lottery ticket. Oh, I'll just buy this for 10 yeah. cents. And so probabilities became a driving force. So I started by selling puts, selling calls. And if I couldn't afford it because of capital requirements, then I would sell a put spread or sell a call spread. So that's pretty much ingrained in me that um, and also supported by research that if you sell a naked call or a naked put, um, you have the best opportunity to manage it. And by manage, I mean to either get a winner on the board or to um, manage the trade so that you can either lessen your losses or eke out a small profit if the underlying does not comply. Um, if I can't, so I start always with naked. Okay. If I can't afford it, so what another best, uh, it's not a best practice, but the way we learn at Tasty Trade, how to build your portfolio and how to maintain your, the capital at risk. You know, uh, I don't have any more capital at risk in any one underlying versus another underlying. So if I have, let's say, a $100,000 account and the loosey-goosey um, uh, is a 3% to, to allocation to, to one underlying. So mm -hmm. that would be $3,000. So if $3,000 allows me to be naked, I'll be naked. If I can't be naked, then I'll buy the cheapest long I can buy. Right. And it looks like a spread, but really it's a synthetic naked, right? Right. Or a synthetic yeah, you're just, you're just, you know, shrinking the, the capital requirement, but it's, exactly. it's still pretty, 
it's still pretty naked. Yeah. And I luckily became comfortable with doing that um, about, I would say, five, six years ago. And I know that as I encounter people, they, they see that maximum loss infinity mm. against the naked yeah. call. And they're like, ah, that scares them. But, you know, I'll tell them, look, if the brokerage is willing to take the risk at this level, then I think it's reasonable that we should try to also, as long as uh, the capital requirement is supported. So I started by learning how to sell puts and calls and spreads. And then I, and I already knew how to do covered stock you know, buy the stock, sell the cover, uh, sell a 30 delta call against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I progressed to what are known uh, in the tasty trade world as jade lizards or big lizards, which are just, they may look like an iron condor because they may have four legs, mm-hmm. um, but they have no wrist to one side. And it's okay. a powerful, powerful tool to use because you're selling the straddle, so you're collecting a lot of premium, mm-hmm. and then you're just eliminating risk to one side by having a spread on that side, which is covered by the premium that you collect. Gotcha. Yeah. That's the basic definition of a lizard. And a reverse lizard would be no risk to the downside, and a regular would be no risk to the upside. And that's it. And then ratios and butterflies, you know, those are all cousins of each other's ratio spreads and butterflies and broken wing butterflies. But I want to say to someone who's new and maybe listening that it's, you can have, you can work your portfolio without having all these fancy positions in it. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you, so here, here's something that I, I don't want to say struggle with, but um, you mentioned the position where you're like, okay, you don't have any risk to the one side. Yes. And I'm not, I've seen the jade lizards. I don't know exactly what it is. To me, it's, it sounds like a iron, um, I don't know if it's an iron butterfly where you kind of, you break the wings and you end up with no risk to the upside, but, uh, or, or downside, however you want to structure that. But so how much of your bias, if you will, for that stock what are you making that decision on for that type of trade where you're saying, okay, I'd rather, I want the, the risk. I don't, I don't think I have any risk to the upside. Like you're, 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 you're ha- you obviously have some kind of bias to where you're picking that side. So how, how do you factor that into all the mechanical mathematical stuff? Cause I know like, you know, to me, I trade a lot of indexes and I do not do a lot of short, trades anymore mainly because that the the underlying theme that the the fed is printing money um and supporting the market and yeah you know covid crash happened and you know i got dinged on a couple long trades as did most of the world but um but i'm okay with that because i know that most of the time the market is going to be saved in a certain sense um so uh, you know, that's just, you know, and that, that, that may all come to a screeching halt one day. Right. But, um, but ha- so how, how do you factor in that bias with that stock? I mean, are you look do you look at moving averages or you, you use like the S and P is kind of like your indicator if the S and P is, you know, in uh, not a bullish mode, but is, is neutral or then most stocks will kind of fo- follow the tide kind of thing? Or how, how do you factor that in? So I know Tasty Trade is very mechanical. So I'm you know, interested on how, how to factor in your bias with that. 
So that's a super good question. And I can't even pretend to be um, a financial guru or under, understand economics, whether macro or micro, to any degree to know which way the markets are going to go or a particular underlying is going to go. But what I learned from Sosnoff way in the beginning is all the information is baked into the option premiums for the most part, you know? And, and I, in fact, I remember him saying once, he said, let's say Apple earnings are due at the end of the market, after the market closed today. Mm -hmm. He said, even if I told you what Apple earnings are during the market, right? Um, you really can't predict which way the market will interpret those earnings. And right. you've seen that. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be bullish, bullish, and Apple can be everyone's darling. And suddenly Apple produces pretty decent earnings and they shoot Apple down. Right. Now I'm thinking about Amazon. Amazon in the last few sessions, maybe two weeks, has just not been keeping up. Right? It's down right. every day. And yeah. I'm thinking, everyone's shopping on Amazon. What's the problem here? Why isn't it keeping up? Yeah. So I don't even pretend to. I just go by what the option premiums are telling me. Gotcha. Um, as far as my own personal, definitely um, you need to have an opinion. I, um, a long time ago when I worked as a regular uh, traditional investor, I use the Peter Lynch approach a lot. Like wherever I was, whatever service I was using, whatever product I was using was my favorite. You know, Starbucks and Nordstrom's, I pretty much started in the Northwest and Costco and Amazon, yeah. these were all Northwest stocks, right? And they were just coming up and, and it was state-of-the-art technology and I was like, oh, these are my favorites, my darlings. You have to have some kind of an opinion, but it has to be reasonable. So if a stock is dragging, so I'm going out 45 days. So I look back only six months. Okay. Okay. I, 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 you can use technical analysis. You can use fundamental analysis. I don't use either, but I do look at the chart. I look at the chart and if it's kind of dragging a bottom, I like, I say, I'd like to be bullish. And if I want to be bullish, that means I'm taking risk to the downside. Okay. If the stock is off the charts, like Costco was until today, mm -hmm. you know, big move up, no real reason why maybe an analyst gave it a bump up, but it's flying off my screen. I'll sell a call ratio. Gotcha. Okay. Right. I, I could be, be wrong, but. You've got to start somewhere and everything in between, I'll be neutral or I'll skew it a little bit bullish or a little bit uh, bearish. Right. So, so you're, yeah. yeah. And, 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 I, and I totally agree with what you're saying in the sense of um, the, the options market seems to know more than the price, it seems like, because, you know, technical analysis side, they'll, the, the mantra is you know, the, the market knows all the information is is in the price, yeah. but the options sometimes don't reflect that, you know, and, and that's when you get into people who try to follow unusual option activity, something that's sort of leading. I, I don't really follow that. And it sounds like you don't either, but the, but I totally understand what you're saying about you, you do need to have a little bit of an opinion and that those options are going to tell you whether it's the premium or um, yeah. you know the skew or whatever is going to kind of help dictate what you what you, you trade. Need an opinion and you yeah. need market awareness. You can't 
be in this area of uh, investing your capital and not it's not about an interest in making money it's about an interest in the markets mm -hmm. and what drives things and what uh, results come out of it and um I think that's important, but it can be developed with learning and reading and listening and watching. Um, and then a little bit of what I call your gut feeling, you know, your sentimental yeah. feeling or whatever, and then go from there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do look at the skew. Um, so you know that uh, at the... Uh, equidistant puts are always worth more than equidistant calls from right. the app money because uh, there's always more fear to the downside. Every once in a while, you will encounter where the call is worth more than the put. And I interpret that to just mean that the markets are more bullish on this underlying. They are mm. putting more value in the calls. Um, I use that. That's when I will sell a jade lizard. So why would you... Why not just sell a put if you're bullish? Mm -hmm. Why sell a call spread? Because there's extra premium in that call spread to be harvested. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there's a specific reason, condition under which I sell a jade lizard. Otherwise, yeah. just sell a put, you know, right. sell a 30 delta put. As far as being afraid of, I have no way to say which way this market's going to go. I don't think anyone knows, right? Yeah, yeah I gave up on that a long time ago. <laughs> yes. So I stick to the probabilities. And, if, and because you're a seller, I'm a seller mostly. Though sometimes it's hard because volatility dries up and then uh, the conditions for selling uh, just don't exist. Time is on my side as a seller of premium. So every day that goes by, I could be wrong to a certain degree, but still make money, right? Right. But when you're a buyer, um, there's no room to be wrong. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's got to move in that direction and it's got to move quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so, Interesting. Yeah. Um, so I know, uh, so we, uh, in 2019, you did a second kind of stint on the Rising Star where they, they had you back. So I was going to ask you, you know, when I watched that episode, you had mentioned a couple, I don't want to say newer strategies, but things you were maybe doing a little differently. So how has your trading evolved from, from those early days? And I say early days, like in, in the early tasty trade days from maybe 2015 to now, um, are, is there anything you're trading more of? Has it, well, what's changed for you over the last, let's say five years? I would say that the use of option synthetics has really um, um, been an area of interest for me. Um, with, uh, so that's just meaning creating a synthetic position. So an example I would give you would be a covered stock position. You buy the stock and you let's say you sell the 30 delta call, right? So now you have a 70 delta position, exposure to the underlying. Uh, you can create the same scenario synthetically by selling the put that's right across the aisle from that 30 delta call. That's uh, in the money put, right? So okay. you want the same thing to happen in both cases. Let's say you bought the stock at 40 and you sold the 50 call. You want the stock to go beyond 50 by expiration so that you get your maximum profit out of it. 
uh, if you sell the put that corresponds to the 50 call, you want the exact same thing to happen, right? right? You want the, even though it's in, in the money, you want the stock to rise and go past 50 and then you get to keep all your premium or whatever fraction of it that you decide is a good enough profit for you. Interesting. When I started using option synthetics, it just sort of opened up the world to me. Uh, uh, these are just little mathematical tools <laughs> that I can use to create a delta position and delta tells me what my exposure is. Another example would be if you want to short the SPY. Not very many people can afford to short the SPY. The account size just doesn't permit it. Right. So the next less expensive thing to do would be to have a covered put in the SPY, right? Well, okay. not a lot of people can afford that either. So what's the synthetic equivalent of a covered put is selling the call that's across the aisle from that short put. That's an in-the-money call. Now, if you right. can't even afford that, then you would buy something cheap and then you would sell an in-the-money call spread. The whole time your eye is on the negative delta that you are aiming for, right? right. If you sell SPY, it's 100 negative deltas. If you sell a covered put, it's 70 negative deltas. And if you sell a call spread, maybe you have 70 negative deltas or 65. The bottom line, it's, they all pretty much respond the same way with a lot of difference in capital util utilization. I need to be able to sell two call spreads in lieu, right? right. So that, <laughs> that whole area of synthetics, so that you, they get these fancy names like Long Delta Buster and zebras <laughs> and, but, and Man, I, I feel behind i don't i don't know all the new the new terms i need to i yeah. need to get with the program i think that's just tradition you yeah. wonder where i suppose one could read about the history of how strangles were named and straddles were named and butterflies were named right um and that's so we funny. have some more now <laughs> right right that's yeah. funny so i know in the tasty i want to get back to the tasty trade or Tasty Works, excuse me. Um, tell me about, because I, I heard they mentioned that you, you're you a follow trader. What does that mean on the Tasty Works platform that people can follow your trades? Is that what that means essentially? Or how, how does that work? So not just mine. So if, if you have an account with Tasty Works, you, um, you have access not only to all the trades that all of the participants that work for the company discuss, you know, uh, six seven hours that the market is open um, but they also post some of those trades on this page called the follow page so that was a, another huge honor for me when they asked if I would post my trades there so based it's from one account and when I put the trade on then I publish it and it gets on the follow page gotcha. um, uh, other than myself and maybe three or four other people, everyone else works for Tasty Trade. There's no charge for that. Mm -hmm. It's just a suggestion that you can copy identically um, right off the follow page and put the same trade on yourself, or you can copy it and modify it for yourself, increase size, reduce size, or, or you know, massage it in some way. Right. So they're just ideas. Right. Very cool. Right. So that's, it's interesting that you can do that. Um, and people can just, 
you're in the platform so you can just take the order if you wanted to take it or you know, yes that's, that's pretty cool and yeah. then all the tasty trade principles um uh, also are very active on twitter so there are lots and lots of trades being discussed on twitter mm -hmm. i mean i don't think anyone can complain about uh, the fact that they don't get enough ideas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's almost too many, right? It's almost, yeah, too, almost too many. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about uh, risk for a minute. Um, I know we were on the phone the other day and, and, you know, something you said, I, I've been thinking about, about how we're ultimately evaluating our risk in the market. Your risk in trading is, can translate to your your risk in, in real life and, and that idea, or at least the way you evaluate risk. And um, I, you, you said that the other day, and it's so true. And I think I think they talk about that in, in, in um, that Luckbox, Luckbox magazine, where you really just, and you're just constantly evaluating decisions and you learn from mistakes and, and these type of things. So do you, are you constantly thinking about um, and I don't want to say risk, like in the sense that you're scared of doing things, but do you find yourself like thinking the same way when you're like planning your trips and things versus like when you're in the market? Is like it's just one big risk evaluation now your whole life, <laughs> I guess. No, that's a really good point, Eric. Um, yeah, so just to back up a bit, every position I put on, I'm always aware of what my return on capital is. Meaning I need to be appropriately compensated if I'm selling for the risk that I'm taking. Hence, I only sell in high implied volatility, right? Because right. I want the volatility to collapse and I want to close out my position. If I sell in low volatility, it may be a long, long time before I can ever close that position out. Um, but to get back to your question, yes. And I remember Tom saying it a couple of times about how you will use these principles in your everyday life. And I certainly did. And a good example would be in this past summer. So we're in the middle of this pandemic and it's very scary. And um, we've lost a lot of lives. And But I was very isolated. I had moved to a new place. I didn't know anyone. I decided that I would take an airplane trip to go and be with people I loved and was comfortable with um, and know that they had been equally wary and careful of, you know, using social distancing and masks or whatever. It was in line with mine. Mm -hmm. And then I had to get on a flight. So my risk was exposing myself to all those people. Then I looked at what the airlines were doing. And I looked at statistics on, well, were a lot of people dying during that had been on a particular flight. And I didn't hear that or see that. And I didn't see a large proportion of flight attendants being hurt by this uh, pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, I'm taking this risk. Of course, my max risk, my max technical risk is that I could die, right? It's the same as that risk on the naked call. Right. Is that the stock is going to... <laughs> it goes to zero, right? <laughs> well, if it goes to zero, it's yeah. okay because right. it's measurable. But if it goes to 10 trillion from 100, uh, that's yeah. ridiculous, right? <laughs> but what are the chances? So the outside risk was that I would 
con contract something and die. But yeah. the risk-adjusted return was that I'd be with people that I love, I'd have company, and, um, and the fact that I would feel, wow, you know, I did this. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'll take all the precautions that the airlines are saying. I will trust. There's a level of trust. And, and I did it. That feels so good. And, and not to say I'm selling this to any, anyone who might be listening. Yeah. But this summer, I took five flights. Mm -hmm. Now, they were not for gratuitous uh, purpose. Like, oh, I'm going on this fabulous vacation. No. Right. More mm -hmm. for a relief from the isolation and to go see my granddaughter and to go see, you know, beloved members of my family and it was well worth it. So okay. I, I, I think about this that, oh, you know, I, I took a measured amount of risk and so far so good. Yeah. Uh, that it's good. Been okay. I tested myself and I'm negative. So I feel good. That Great. was a win on the board. Yes. Yes. <laughs> when I consumed a lot of the tasty trade stuff, one of the things I, you know, I don't remember all the technical and mechanical things, but one of the, the, the biggest concepts that I took away and I still apply to my real life and my trading is that basically, you know, fear is typically overpriced, you know, which is why we buy insurance, whatever the fear in the market is, the, the options are always going to kind of reflect that. And most of the time that fear isn't warranted. And like you said, that volatility is going to come in at some point. Now, you know, when there's no fear in the market, that's when you're supposed to watch out because you're like, okay, something's going to happen, right? But in general, um, selling the fear, I, it was kind of the takeaway, which, which ultimately we tend to be net sellers of options. Obviously, if you're, you can buy volatility as well when it's low, but that was one of the kind of takeaways. And, and I apply that in my real life when, you know, when something crazy happens and it helps, you know, you kind of stay calm and you're like, okay, this isn't going to last forever, you know, or it's not as bad. Let me not jump the gun and do make it worse. Right. Like don't panic and panic, sell everything. And then you realize the, you know, the market recovers kind of thing. So those little micro decisions, um, it translates back and forth between my real life and my, my trading you know, yeah. trading stuff. So I think that's pretty cool. So this was awesome. I know you're doing some coaching. So I want to, I want to just let you talk a little bit about what kind of coaching are you do, doing? Is it one-on-one -on -one coaching? Cause I know you, you mentioned the other day you were, you were helping someone. How do people work with you or how are you working with people? Cause I know you got a bunch of bunch of clients now, right? Yes. So it started, actually, I started by mentoring because I've always had an interest in talking about financial education, and particularly to young women, because I feel like um, this is an area that they should show more interest in than they normally seem to do. And so I started by mentoring high school girls. This is before options even, just talking about financial literacy and education. And then when I started trading options, I started mentoring them. And you know what? This is a great way to start, you know, establish positions, do this thing called the Wheel of Fortune, where you sell a put, get the stock assigned, start with a lower cost basis, sell a call, get it taken away, do the same thing over and over again, rinse right. and repeat. Then when I was 
on the follow page, I had a lot of people asking me questions. And uh, one of them turned into a client. He offered to pay me if I would just spend some time with him, helping him discuss his activities and his portfolio. And, and I don't give any financial advice, obviously. I'm not even qualified to do so. But um, I can right. certainly tell you how I would handle a certain situation. And that's kind of how my... I really enjoyed that. It's one-on-one. So as you know, there's, everything is free on Tasty Trade. There's hours and hours and hours of archives and content and research. But I think the value that I was bringing to this gentleman was that it's like a personal coach. So yes, yeah. my coaching is personalized. There's no curriculum. There's no you know, standard for, format uh, I do it based on the person's needs, on their learning style, on the time that they make available. And right. I just, I enjoy it very, very much. It's really nice to see people just overcome uh, this fear, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I do, I coach any and everyone, meaning a newbie or someone who just wants to take his game to the, his or her game to the next level, or they just want, to talk to me about analyzing that portfolio. So it just sort of runs the gamut. But yeah, I, I really yeah. enjoy it. Yes. Great. Yeah, I know, I know one of the value coaches bring just in general is um, a little bit of accountability. Cause I know, you know, this stuff can be complicated. And one of the reasons I created groups and started going online is to just talk to other people that are doing this. So I'm gonna assume that maybe your personal friends don't know about options or have you converted? Cause I know you said you, at, at one point you were, you were, you were um, teaching your daughter, but like just your, you know, you kind of your everyday friends that like, when you got into that, what did they say? Were, were they like you crazy? That's too risky or, or, and, and are you still friends with them? <laughs> uh, oh yes, I, I am friends. I think my friends would represent the population in general. Some are curious. Some have been thinking about it on their own. And then mm -hmm. when they see me doing it, they become, okay, I think I'm going to try it too. Right, right. And, and some just mostly don't have the interest. That's that market awareness piece. Yeah. They're just not interested. And if you're not interested then this is not a place that you need to be, right? right? Then yep. it's better to pay someone to, uh, that you trust and that you've wetted in, in other ways to handle your money, you know? Right. And, um, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But if you have the slightest bit of curiosity, it's a great place to yeah. explore. So no, my friends, are, they, they run the gamut. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And, it, and it's, you know, you can do both too, right? Like some people who want to get into it doesn't mean, uh, doesn't mean you need to pull all your money out of wherever it is now, but maybe you start with something small and just, and go through it and risk a thousand dollars or whatever and just do it. And then maybe that's something that you can um, kind of grow into. Well, this has been great. Where's, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? They can, uh, Follow me on Twitter, okay. um, at sign trader Fosia. Um, I've provided you with a lot of the information. Yes, so I'll, yeah. I'll put it all in there. And, um, and, and you have uh, a face, I, you're on Facebook too? 
I'm on Facebook. I have a Facebook page called Option Engines. Okay. They can call me. My phone number is right there. Um, I can even give it out. I don't care. 425-466-1069. You're going to get some calls. (laughs) (laughs) This this show's starting to pick up a little bit. So, um, you know, but... But uh, that's great. Okay, so well, I'll definitely put all your links and information in there. I'm going to put some links to the the Rising Star videos too, and I'll put all your stuff in there, and I'll verify with you. So, um, well, thank you so much. I appreciate it, and I'm sure we'll talk soon. Oh, thank you. And I should add, I'm also on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'll I'll get with you for sure for all the links. So, all right. This has been great. Thanks so much, Fazia. I'll talk to you soon, and we'll see you next time. Okay. Well, it's my turn to say thank you, Eric. This was an, a true honor. Thank you for inviting me, and hopefully, I'll be invited again. <laughs> yes, I'm definitely gonna have you back on. Maybe we'll we'll get really into some more strategies next time. So. Totally. I'm always happy okay. to talk about. That. All right. Good night. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Stock Market Options Trading Podcast. To join our community of options traders, head on over to patreon.com forward slash vertical spread options trading for details. But before you go, you should know that everything discussed on this podcast and in this episode is for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial advice of any kind.